Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, was it a robbery homicide or was it a political cover-up? We talk about the death of a whistleblower in the podcast Murder in Oregon. Then we'll tell you why you should watch Watchmen, HBO's new dystopian superhero comic book adaptation drama that I promise is way less uncool than it sounds. <laughs> Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, and night owl to my silk specter, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Let me just change up my costume. <laughs> I like when my voice is now I can be like really like a superhero. Yeah. I'm Batman. <laughs> no, you just, it sounds like you've got the I'm cold. I'm Catman. <laughs> oh, Catman. I'm no Ratman. Way. Ratman. I'm Fatman. <laughs> One of these will work. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and Key West... <laughs> Visitor, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. That's me. That was a very like diplomatic way to describe that. Key West visitor. That's Thank good. you. Thank you. T- Key West tourists. <laughs> and finally, our resident cynic, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, the guy who also loves to lift things that are heavy, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Well, it's wonderful talking to you all. But before we get into this week's podcast, I just want to do a couple little plugs for our Patreon. If you listen to this show and you like what we do and you want to join our Patreon, you should know there's a lot of stuff for you there, including the Crime Writers on After Show, which is the companion podcast to this podcast. Tonight on the Crime Writers on After Show, dropping along with this show, we're talking about some amazing True crime podcast updates, including news about In the Dark, Undisclosed, and And. a date with Dateline. (laughs) Plus, uh, there's an amazing episode of Leave it to Bricker right now on our Patreon that, like, people who've downloaded it cannot stop talking about. Apparently, Laura Bricker has found her, like, groove with this episode. And uh, produced by Kevin, I hear it's pretty damn good. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, it is. I have to tell you. So I've been working on my, like, learning a little bit more about the editing. But you guys always do the finishing touches. So I always listen. And about halfway through, I'm not going to give it away, Kevin added something. And I, like, it was like, ah! I, like, just started dying because it was, like, such a perfectly timed edition of music. It was so funny, Kevin. Oh, thank you. (laughs) 
I've been listening to This American Life and thinking. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. I was like, I even made Ken this. And I said, oh, my God. That was just because my cousin Dwight is featured in this episode. And he is a real. Who was kidnapped by the Moonies. He was kidnapped by the Moonies. And he escaped. He's an Eagle Scout. So he had some, you know, good times. <laughs> well, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind, can I just make one more quick plug? It's important. Yeah. These are their stories. The Law and Order SVU podcast, which is another show that we make that you host, mm-hmm. is so fecking good it is so good so fecking good so kevin this week these are their stories we had a woman named mary yeah who hosts a podcast called let's talk about cats (laughs) (laughs) and she's very funny and it was really really good do you just want to like describe what these are their stories is so that our listeners check it out please because it's so good I really think it should be the most popular thing we do. And for some reason, it isn't. So please download these or their stories. Yeah, every week we take a look at an episode of either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe Law and Order. It's mostly SVU these days. <laughs> Let's be real. Well, we're going to be getting back. It's been their 21st season, so we've been doing some extra SVU. But we're getting back to regular Law and Order, and we talk about the episode, and we make fun of the costumes and all of the bad writing. And then we take a look at the real-life case that inspired the show and talk about the true crime behind it. And our guests are awesome. Great guests. And you don't have to watch the episode to enjoy the podcast, right? No, we give you plenty of clips and tell you what happened. So. <laughs> but you've seen all of these episodes. That's right. You know, it's like you don't have to watch the Brady Bunch in order to remember the one about Marsha getting hit in the nose. Right, right, right. Or the one about that time. The ball came and broke the vase. Or the dude from Caddyshack was accused of a rape he didn't commit. That one. I was talking Brady Bunch, but all right. Okay. Anyway, check out These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order SVU podcast. It is worth it. When you got a governor of the state of Oregon, that's a goddamn pedophile. I think anything's possible. Leading off, Murder in Oregon from iHeartRadio explores one of that state's most infamous homicides— Corrections Department Director Michael Frankie was stabbed outside of his office in 1989. Investigators struggle with a theory as to whether this was a robbery gone wrong and made little progress in the case. It is very hard to walk the halls in the legislature today because uh, there's a force that's missing. The murder of a high official and people just seem to get away with it. But Frankie was brought in to clean up corruption in the corrections department and was about to reveal some of his findings. The case may have gone cold were it not for newspaper columnist Phil Stanford and Frankie's crusading brothers. It's an incestuous bunch of criminals down here. Turns out there's an incestuous bunch of politicians, too. Host Lauren Bright Pacheco explores the red herrings in the investigation and conspiracy theories around Frankie's death in a case where many believe justice was not served. Now, we will be talking about plot points for murder in Oregon and the Frankie case. So to skip that part of the discussion, just fast forward to our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. All right. So, Kevin, uh, you sent me a note about this podcast, Stylistic Note, that it feels like a listicle of sound bites. What did you mean by that? I feel like that Lauren, the host, is not like really telling any bit of a story here, not really guiding what's happening. It just feels like it's a uh, collection of sound bites arranged by topic where she's just sort of saying, you know, this was the guy was a young man. And then here's the first sound bite about his youth and the second sound bite about his youth. The three Frankie brothers grew up close. 
in what seems like a quintessential American, almost Norman Rockwell upbringing. Here's Pat. My family were very close growing up. Did a lot of stuff together. Ran away together. (laughs) You ran away together? Yeah, we packed up some bologna sandwiches and... We're not getting a lot of the story being told by her guiding this story as opposed to relinquishing all of the airtime to the people that are being interviewed. The Awesome Brothers. We're not being signposted again on who these different people are. There's a lot of different voices going from episode to episode, not reintroduced and reminded about this guy and why he's important. I just feel like if you were to look at this like a book, everybody's read a book. Can you imagine opening to a page? And that the entire page is a giant block quote from person and then one line of exposition and then another big block quote. That's that's not a good way to, to write a story, to advance a narrative. I just feel like that she's absent and shirking her responsibility of telling the story and driving it forward. Hmm. Laura, what do you think about that? Because you say in your notes to me that the first five minutes we learn who the narrator is, Lauren, what her connection to the story is. And what the premise of the podcast is. What do you think is happening here afterwards? Yeah, so that's the I like I, I listened to this and I was like taking notes and I was like, oh, this is great. Right up front, because that's one of my my big grievances when we listen to something and you have no idea what the podcast is gonna be about. And it takes them like 10 minutes to get to the point. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is a reporter. She met this guy who's a columnist who's been writing about this case, and they're gonna talk about whether this guy was assassinated in a conspiracy or if this was like just a random thing. I'm like, okay. And then it just sort of like Kevin said. I felt like kind of meandered like I felt like I wanted a little bit more direction in terms of like the storytelling and you know we had a lot of interesting people we had all the right people and all the right information but I think if I hadn't taken notes when I was listening I might have missed a lot of the story because it just wasn't told in such a narrative format that it was like easy to follow along I guess that's how I would describe it now on the other hand Toby also sent me some notes instead of me reading the first note you sent me which I will say right now made me literally do a spit take with my beer earlier tonight can you please just read this one out loud and then tell me what you meant by it? Uh, it's the one where I say, I really like murder in Oregon. I'm also like 80% sure we're just following around conspiracy theorists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Toby, it's that one. What do you mean by that? Like, first of all, I like I like listening to these guys. I, I don't have the same kind of issues I think Kevin and Lara do about the way the narrative is, is kind of presented. And this isn't really meant necessarily as a criticism of the show. But as I'm listening, it's, you know, it's a little bit like the the RFK tapes where, you know, they're kind of piling on these kind of not completely related to the actual crime details that make everything seem a little more sinister than it probably is. So, and I kept waiting, I'm like, okay, so where's the real evidence that this isn't just a car theft gone wrong? To me, that doesn't really seem like there's very much. And as a matter of fact, some of the people who talk about it, I just kind of feel like when they bring in these kind of random voices, like they talk about like, this doesn't really seem like a like a thief, right? Because he didn't steal the wallet or the watch. I'm like, no, he stabbed the guy like three times and he took off because he was freaked out. Like he didn't want to get busted for, you know, assault with a with a knife. So I don't know. They're trying to make something out of all these sort of extenuating circumstances which I think a lot of them are are really interesting to hear. But I just get the feeling, again, there's probably 
like the solution is probably pretty mundane, mm. but the fact that this guy's got these interesting entanglements is what makes it a an interesting story and b sort of lends these guys this conspiratorial sort of uh, reading of the situation. All right, I'm just going to tell you guys, I think there is something to the theory that Frankie was murdered. I really do. Well, he was murdered, definitely. I mean murdered in connection with corruption. I, I really do think there's something to that because he was about to testify the following day about corruption that had been going on for years and years and years and years. I've done enough reading about the corruption in the Oregon correction system and stuff just after listening to these couple episodes mm-hmm. and that I do believe there's something there and I think there's a excellent reason to believe he was murdered to prevent from testifying and that it went wrong. I do believe that. So you don't think he was murdered by a two-bit crook for for no reason? No. But I will say the thing that bothered me about the storytelling in this podcast was it took me a really long time to figure out like the circumstances of his murder, like what happened, where his body was, was he shot, was he stabbed? Like the podcast didn't just lay out those facts in a way that made it super clear until it was like ep- late in episode two with like the search of the building and he was on the portico. And then at one point they said he'd been stabbed. It was like, oh, okay, great. He'd been not great. But like I was trying to figure out like what the hell is happening? Like, What are these brothers talking about? Because for me, and I just want to throw this out there, like I love the two brothers. Like they're awesome. They really drive the narrative and they have the most information and they've got amazing voices for radio to, like, tell the story. Kevin, do you agree that the brothers are the compelling storytellers here? I, I think they are. And I, I like, you know, sort of them driving around together, sort of telling the stories. Um, um, they are certainly the emotional center of what we've heard so far. Again, my, my criticism just is there's just too much. Mm. These are 45-minute episodes that would be better served as 30-minute episodes. So, uh, Laura, you like the brothers, too, and you also believe that this murder is the result of Frankie being about to testify about corruption in the correction system? Absolutely. I mean, it seemed like sort of a a given. Like, I get, yeah, there's a lot of people in here that sound like they're definitely buying, like, over-the-top conspiracy theory people, like that guy, the Russian guy in Stranger Things. But you know what? Um, No. When you listen to this and you hear about what he had uncovered and you hear about the, what was it, the arson shack or whatever— that he was preparing to talk about that, that, and then you hear all these like weird things that happen in the investigation after like, oh, we're going to just like close up the crime scene in the morning and like let it hang out there with, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Pardon my language. But like, no, that's not real. Uh, that doesn't yeah. seem right. It also seems like he thought he was in danger, which is like kind of a harbinger from a murder about to yeah, be committed, like right? He was teaching his wife to shoot a gun. That was a sign. There was just definitely some things going on that was like, okay, this this is he's stepped into something. He didn't know the severity of what he stepped into. He's an outsider. He's very progressive. And, you know, he wants to move things forward. And the old boys network, um, which, you know, as a journalist, Kevin, you probably encountered that a lot. It's like it's entrenched sometimes in small Mm -hmm. communities. And it is nasty. I mean, I remember going up against it in certain things. And it was like, not a pleasant situation. So imagine doing it on the scale that he was doing it on. And I liked the brothers as narrators, but but going on that sort of premise of this was clearly a hit, I wanted to hear some more from somebody in an official capacity about that. Right, right. We did hear from like some senators, but they didn't like think necessarily the murder theory, but they agreed that he was 
a progressive and that he was going to change things. Before I tell you something else that I know about Phil Stanford, Toby, what do you think about this guy who they describe him as a, as a columnist, which is not the same as a reporter. So I'm not 100 percent sure, like what his actual role is at the newspaper where he works. But what do you think about this columnist, this local newspaper person, taking on this story and publishing tons and tons of stories about what he believes was a murder tied to Frankie's desire to root corruption and the role that he plays in really pushing this story forward? Well, I guess it's one of two things, right? Like either he's another kind of conspiracy guy who's in a feedback loop with the with the brothers and they're kind of egging each other on or he's a guy who just covers this stuff so much that he has insight into the lengths at which these people will go to maintain power or keep themselves out of jail or whatever he thinks the the motive is. It was not an accident. It was not a car burglary gone bad. It was it was an assassination. He was a public official who discovered corruption in his own department. Heads were going to roll. So I think he's the guy who's talking at the beginning of the second episode. And that was when I was like, this guy just sounds like a conspiracy theory guy. In what way? Well, he was just laying it out like everybody else lays out a conspiracy is that there were people out to get him and, you know, there was a cover up and, you know, things don't add up. I mean, he was just it was just like straight out of the conspiracy theory playbook. And that was when I was like, hmm, I don't know how much I trust this guy to be looking at it through a sort of clear eyed lens. All right. Do you want to know where we know Phil Stanford from? You got to tell is from Bundyville, isn't it? No. Even better? No. Even better. It was from The Clearing. Whoa. Phil Stanford was the newspaper guy who believed that Eddie Edwards had killed that couple on that Lover's Lane murder in Oregon. He wasn't the one that was like the Jean Benet Ramsey, the all of the country one. Uh, yeah. He was the one that had something that interested the clearing team that maybe he could have been connected to that case in Oregon. So what that tells me, and I could be wrong, is that Phil Stanford is doing his due diligence potentially, but is probably interested in stories where he can make connections. What do you think about that, Toby? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel that that piece is just another little piece of evidence in my ongoing <laughs> pile of evidence that I don't necessarily totally trust him. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice man. But you trust the brothers, right? Because they're badass and they've got great voices. You know, I, I trust them in the same way that I, I would trust any grieving, you know, sibling, which is how do you make sense of a senseless death? You know, if 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 your sibling's murdered, like, how do you process that? And whether they're right or they're wrong, I, I mean, I think it in general is easier if it seems like somebody died in pursuit of a cause mm rather than they happened to walk out while somebody was trying to break into their car and got stabbed to death. So as long as we're in the, we're going to be spoilers in this part of the review, I'm going to spoil the story for everybody about what our ending is. Okay. Because this is real life. There really are no spoilers. So um, they uh, arrest this uh, small town crook named Frank Gable, mm -hmm. and he was convicted for the murder but a U.S. magistrate released him in this this June, saying that the uh, judge erred in preventing a third-party guilt 
defense during the trial, and he had ineffective assistance of counsel. What's third-party guilt? That's when you say somebody else did it. Oh. They wouldn't argue, let him argue that somebody else was the killer. Oh, I see. That's the head theory. Yeah, and point to person X saying that person X did it. An alternate theory of the crime. An alternate theory of the crime. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. So this is why one of the reasons why I think this is back in the news, because the reasons that his conviction were overturned are a little more procedural than evidentiary. But it does, you know, reopen the idea that who do you want to try for this? Hmm. Laura, I have a question for you. Yeah. I actually thought the first two episodes of this podcast were pretty straightforward and like, you know, fairly well done. You know, there were things about him that weren't perfect, but, you know, I thought they were pretty good. And then in episode three, we open with a long passage about one of Frankie's brothers consulting with a psychic. Regardless of what you believe or think about psychics, Kevin has kept detailed notes of what you're about to hear, and many parts have proven pertinent over the years. She said, what time was he killed? And she, I said, they're saying somewhere around seven o'clock. And her notes, she's got 7705 written down, and then 8830 says there's something wrong with these times. I don't know if this is the proper time that he was killed, but something happened at 7 o'clock. And then something happened again later. Uh, One person inside, two or three people outside, and it was a planned hit. They knew your brother's schedule. They knew he was going to be at this meeting. There were people that he trusted that he shouldn't have trusted. I don't know about you, Laura. I know that you love a good psychic theory as much as I do. (laughs) I do. But I I do find myself questioning the storytelling when we spend like six minutes secondhand repeating what a psychic said. But as you point out, the psychic may have been right. I was very confused by this whole thing. Well, I think some of the stuff was interesting. Like they, I, I was like, wow, like somebody's in custody, John K, and it was John Krause, but it was spelled with a C. So that was very interesting. And I think that as the case played out, there were some things that the psychic told him that did sort of, you know, make sense as more of the case was revealed. So I thought it was very interesting as she answered the door in her little moo-moo. Um, <laughs> but I didn't like how it was presented because it was like basically just him recounting his notes. Well, it was presented the same way that facts are presented in the story. The same brother who like told you facts was then telling you what a psychic told him with like no sense of irony around it. I liked when he was recounting how he called the police and they were like, um, who is our rat? Who is our snitch? And he's like, I went to a psychic and this is what they told me. I was like, huh. That was kind of a fun part. So I I thought it was interesting. This is where we miss Lauren jumping in and taking control of this podcast by really setting the narrative and cutting out some of the dead wood off of this and getting to the the stronger facts. And you could tell the she could be the one explaining some of the highlights of the psychic story and not having the brother kind of hum and haw yeah. about it you yeah, know exactly. I, I agree because I, I do think that that was sort of I was having a hard time because as I was listening to it we were listening to a screener every time my phone like screen went dormant it would reset and I'd have to start so I had a little bit of confusion as I was listening to this so I, I wasn't probably hearing well, that's it not as, the podcast fault Laura, Laura. That's how it's, it's not, not. it's not, Laura. It's not. <laughs> no one wants to hear about the labor pains they just want to see the was, baby okay all right oh I know I know oh my god so anyway Toby, what did you think about the psychic section? Because this is the part where I thought, oh, Toby's probably on this train, but he might be getting off right now. I can go one of two ways about it. One is, and I don't know if this 
was their intention. But again, I think it's insightful into maybe the rigor that's being put into this investigation that they're doing. Whose investigation? The cops or the podcast? The brothers. The brothers. brothers. So I don't know if that was the intent was to be like, well, they went to a psychic and they kind of bought it. Or whether it's like genuinely this is a root of investigation that the podcast is sort of behind. There's a little eye rolling in the car as I was listening to it as there always is when psychics come up. That wasn't a really strong part. And I think as, as an editor, like that would have been fine with me to like leave it out because in the end, I don't really know how it advances anything. The only thing that got out of it was I was like, John K, that same motherfucker who was like selling the, the stem cells. <laughs> John K. He's everywhere. He's hanging around Buck's house by uh-huh. a lake. I know. What, and what is that guy doing? Like hanging out in the bushes? I don't know. That was like the thing that came up. It was like, he was like a lowlife. He used to hang out in the bushes outside Buck's house. Mm. Like, you hang out in bushes? I've never even heard of that. Yeah. That's yeah, a that's thing. weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how about we wrap this up? I mean, we're only a few episodes into Murder in Oregon. So first impressions, thumbs up or thumbs down review. Should our listeners check it out? Murder in Oregon from iHeartMedia. Lara Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm sort of neutral on this one, so I'll, but I'll go thumbs up. I think it is an interesting story in terms of the corruption that was taking place in the Oregon Department of Corrections and this guy being brought in to sort of clean house and then conveniently just dying in the midst of that. Spoiler. So I think there is an interesting story there. Sometimes I don't like the narrative style of the podcast. I found like it meandered a little bit. But overall, really kind of interesting to hear about uh, what was going on in that jail system. Tobo, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Murder in Oregon from iHeartMedia? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up too. I guess I don't, the the storytelling stuff doesn't bother me as much as it's bothering everybody else. Um, And I do think the insight into the corruption, I think it's interesting listening to the brothers and the newspaper guys and sort of following their thinking, even if I don't necessarily totally buy into their conclusions. Yeah, I... I don't know where I am on this. I guess I'm going to have to go thumb sideways. I thought the first two episodes were pretty good. I think the third episode needed a strong editing hand, and that's what kind of put me in the sideways range. But I also feel like this podcast would benefit greatly from knowing what it is. Is it an exploration of what these brothers and Phil think happened, or is it an actual investigation of what happened? And it doesn't Mm. seem to be able to decide. Uh, Lauren... As a narrator and as a reporter, it doesn't have a strong enough hand to say, like, I am looking at this as a possibility, but I'm looking at all these other things, too. It's just sort of following along with the theory that Frankie was murdered as a result of this corruption stuff. So is it a clearing style thing about a thing people think and then deconstructing it or looking into it? Or is it an actual investigation? Like, it doesn't say that it's one of those things or not. So I don't know. First two episodes, I thought it kind of was, but then it kind of went off the rails a little for me. But I'm comparing it to Happy Face, which Lauren also made, which was a freaking awful podcast. And it's a lot better than that. So I'm just going to stick with my thumb sideways on that and leave it at that. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm thumbs down. I was just going to say, Lauren, who did do Happy Face, remember that we said... I think we said it was a hot fucking mess of a podcast. But I think <laughs> I believe just, you said I think that. I, said that. <laughs> I think I described it sort of as a bus with no driver, just kind of careening down the road. I guess we're going somewhere, 
who doesn't feel like anybody's really at the wheel. That's kind of the sense I get here. I felt that way in Bardstown, too. There are a couple of similarities. What we're hearing a lot about, this could have been the thing, and we're sort of giving equal weight to psychics and reporters and people who aren't around and whatnot. And so it does find out, I mean, if you do this, you got to bring receipts. You can't just say, the man in a pinstripe suit, that could be him. Yeah. The guy with the... the, People say. People say. (laughs) It's a really interesting crime. Yes. And I think... Yes. Yeah, I just think, unfortunately, it's not being told very well, because I really do think, like, a really gripping podcast would be one where you have to get to the idea whether or not this is a brutal random homicide or whether this is a cover-up because of political Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Corruption. Moving on. People who wear masks are driven by trauma. They're obsessed with justice because of some injustice they suffered. Ergo, the mask, it hides the pain. I wear the mask to protect myself. Right, from the pain. HBO got you to watch a series about dragons and bastards and incest. Now, they're out with a prestige show focused on the most critically acclaimed graphic novel of all time. Their imagining of Watchmen takes place in the universe three decades after the comic and motion picture of the same name. In an alternative history where Robert Redford is president and cops hide behind masks for their own safety, costumed vigilantes who are outlaws are working with the police to fight crime and avoid a race war. There was a cavalry-involved shooting last night. You gonna give me the speech now? What speech? I should calm down and take a breath before we're at war again. No. There's a guy in my trunk. Regina King plays former cop Angela Abar, who patrols Tulsa, Oklahoma as Sister Knight. The superhero stumbles into a conspiracy involving friends and family and a hate group known as the 7th Cavalry. You know why you're here? Some nun kicked in my door and put me in the trunk of our fucking car. What the hell? Hey! That is correct. I want my lawyer. Yeah, we don't have to do that with terrorists. The all-star cast includes Jeremy Irons and Gene Smart playing older versions of original Watchmen characters, but you don't need to know the canon to follow along. Like the comic, Watchmen ponders what kind of heroes are needed in a world where truth and justice are in short supply. 
We are going to be talking about plot points from Watchmen. So to stay spoiler free, just fast forward to our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now, I wanted to do a little something different for this review because, Kevin, although you don't need to have ever picked up a comic book to view Watchmen, it does help to have an understanding of the original story. And I do think that some of our listeners might not watch this because they don't know the canon. They haven't read the comic books. So to give us a quick primer on the world of Watchmen, I sat down with a very special guest to explain it to us. Can you introduce yourself and say how the crime writer's audience might know you? Uh, my name is Taylor Quimby. I worked on Bear Brook, which is yeah, it's probably how people would probably know how your audience will know me. You were the guy, other guy at the other end of the field, measuring how long three hundred feet actually. Yeah, is. yeah. <laughs> Couldn't see Jason. <laughs> you also like did all the music, a lot of the music for Bear Brook. You also mm-hmm. hosted Patient Zero, which yep. I think is one of the best podcasts of the year. And that's not just because I work here; like it really is. No, oh, thank you. So you are here because I don't want to do the crime writers on audience a disservice by reviewing Watchmen on HBO and feigning like complete ignorance that there is a universe from which this story came, Mm -hmm. it would be easy to do because HBO has actually set it up in its own new world building situation. Have you watched the show at all yet? I have not. Perfect. You're one of the first people I thought of when I was like, who can just give us the TLDR? What the hell is up with Watchmen? Why is it important? What would you like people who are never going to touch the the graphic novel to know? Sure. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Watchmen is considered by many the greatest graphic novel of all time. Um, It was written, you know, as comic books, so serialized in the mid to late 80s and then came out as like one big volume. Which you have in front of you. I do have in front of me. It's it's a well-loved copy. (laughs) Um, It was sort of one of the first really dark comics that kind of brought adults back into it. So I was a comic book nerd when I was a little kid. And then many years went by where I didn't read comics. And then somebody handed this to me, I think when I was probably like a senior in high school or maybe just out. And it was it was the oh my God moment. Comics can be more than just a superhero story. So what way did it change the genre? Like what what did it do that made you think that? Well, one of the things and this will speak to people who are watching the show is that it does a very good job of building a world. And it's one of those sort of alternate universes where there was a break off point. Something different happened in the past. In our real life timeline, as we know it, like imagine if exactly in this case. There were superheroes. So like Watergate didn't happen or something. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that on Wikipedia. Yes. So what the the difference uh, in this universe, the starting point is that in the 40s, when sort of these early pulp comics were coming out, like the first Superman and, and, and Batman type comics, there started to be real life people dressing up and fighting crime on the streets. But they were not superheroes, I should say. We were talking about, you know bodybuilders and wannabe law enforcement people dressing up and fighting criminals. And then, you know, you started to get costumed villains. So it sort of goes into this old timey, weird version of the comic book because, all you know, all these people are normal. They have actual foibles. Some of them are maybe decent people, but some of them are maybe awful people. And all of that is just kind of backstory in the Watchmen comics. The It does a really good job of sort of filling in this backstory without necessarily spending the whole time in the past. This moves forward after um, there is one actual superhero, like superhuman being named Dr. Manhattan, who radically changes the sort of fate of the world. He intervenes in Vietnam. So the U.S. wins Vietnam. Watergate never comes out. So Nixon ends up getting more than two terms. He gets a third term as president. 
and the Cold War really ramps up, partially because the U.S. is in possession of like the greatest weapon there is. Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan. Okay. Yeah, he, and he's basically invincible. He's like the beyond superhero. And one of the big things to take away from this, too, is the rise of Dr. Manhattan made people really, really uncomfortable with the idea of vigilantes and heroes. And so there's a law that basically makes it illegal to be a superhero or vigilante unless you work for the government. So they have to become like agents of the government. Right. All right. So I have a couple of questions. Sure. I did remember seeing that stupid Watchmen movie that came out, like, was it the early 2000s or something? Uh, yeah. It was real stupid. I just remember it being stupid because it was, like, very clear, like, if you didn't read the source material, it was just stupid. It was one of those. But the series is not. But I have some questions about things that are happening in the series, and I'm wondering if you can just decode them this mm. early in. Yeah, maybe. One of them is that squid randomly fall from the sky. In some sort of weird thing that's referred to in the show as a cross-dimensional attack or trans-dimensional attack. What is up with the squid? Wow. So th- I, I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler or not. Okay. But does it relate in some way? Is there a, there is a squid thing that happens in the... Yeah. Okay. We're going to stop there. Second is there's a guy who is named in the credits. He's played by Jeremy Irons. I think his name is Dietz in the credits, but he lives in a castle somewhere like in Europe or whatever. He's surrounded by clones of the same two people that he makes reenact a play that apparently is like the Dr. Manhattan origin story. And he kills them in horrible ways over and over again, like his slaves. And he like rides a white horse and picks a tomato off a tree at one point. (sighs) Does this and does any of this make sense? Dude, some of the most like there, the thing about the series, since you haven't seen it, is there every single scene is surprising. Yeah. Every scene with this guy is surprising and horrifying. Also, it's Jeremy Irons, so it's creepy. Yeah, like does that any of that make sense to you? It actually does. the The question that's interesting here is that um, I think if I tell you the story of the Watchmen, it will tell you a lot about what's going on. But I don't know if it's more interesting to not know. Mm, that is interesting. Okay, so Robert Redford is president in the HBO series, and he's doing something called Redfordations, where he's basically the way the best way I can describe it is it's like a hugely liberal fantasy gone awry, where mm. like he is you know doing reparations and all these things that you know you should or could do, and then there are all these unintended consequences. Like one of them is that police are no longer allowed to carry guns; they have to like call into headquarters and get a guy in a panda head. Can you explain the panda head guy? Anyway, to unlock their guns for them. Um, The police all have to wear masks to be anonymous because there's constant attacks on the police. And there is this huge race war, like raging, like modern day, uh, like clan. But they wear Rorschach masks, which I also don't understand. So does any of this make sense that there would be this like weird mirror flipping, like liberal fantasy, but still things are really fucked up? Well, I'll, I'll say um, the stuff that you were talking about with uh, Jeremy Irons definitely fits in and the, and the squids that fall from the sky. That directly relates to the content of the graphic novel. The other stuff that you're talking about doesn't directly, but I'm not surprised because one of the things that the comic book did really well is just explore these really weird societal themes that you can do when you do the sort of story where you split off from reality at a certain point. Um, you know, the, this was all about Cold War and like what happens uh, in a world where the Cold War is sort of allowed to take shape in a very different way. And um, 
And I mean, I mean, it's just it's a really innovative book when it comes to like structure and themes and all these sorts of things for a graphic novel. So I'm not surprised that the TV show is going to be as weird. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, that's really promising, too, because the writer has nothing to do right. with the show right. or any of the adaptations of films and whatnot that's come from his work. Which means it could be terrible or it could be great. It could have been either. The film was terrible. I'm just going to say it. Quick question. Owl devices? There's all these weird devices that look like owls. Okay, that makes sense. So okay. so there's a character in here, Night Owl, mm-hmm. and he's kind of like the, the Batman uh, analogous character because he's just sort of a rich dude who can make lots of cool stuff. And so, you know, like most of the characters, he doesn't have powers, but his kind of thing is that he's got, you know, a cool airship and he's got a cool, you know, these like little electro sleds and, you know, all sorts of neat stuff like that. Um, But he plays a big role in this. And I can imagine in the after events uh, continues to shape history in some sort of way. Okay, Rorschach masks. What's up with that? So in the Watchmen on HBO, the bad guys or the guys who are attacking the cops, the racists are all wearing what they call Rorschach masks. They're basically just like um like burlap sacks with like a roughly painted face on them. What's okay, so, the deal with that? So Rorschach is a character in Watchmen. He's one of the main dudes, and he's like the vigilante uh, who couldn't, even after vigilantism is outlawed, unless you work for the government, he um, bucks bucks that and continues to fight crime. And so he's wanted throughout the, the series. And he's also the one with like the the weirdest moral center. Like he'll kill and torture bad guys because he thinks they deserve it and he's pretty, pretty screwed up. The Jeremy Irons character, Ozymandias, Mm -hmm. is the classic superhero who decides that the only way to save the world is to cause like to like kill tons of people. And he fakes this alien invasion, an alien psychic attack from a sort of giant super squid. Uh. And he he teleports it into the middle of New York City so that it like literally overlaps with everything and just like makes this destructive wave of psychic energy and kills like half the people in New York and makes the other half go crazy. Russia and the U.S. were right at the edge of World War Three, and everything backs down because of this alien invasion. And, and Alleged so, alien invasion. Yes. So he's the superhero who sort of does it. Rorschach at the end has uncovered this plot. And even though the world has sort of been saved by this terrible deed by Ozymandias. Rorschach is dedicated to, like, he he was like, no, I'm going to go and tell people the truth. Got it. And Dr. Manhattan, in this moment, this sort of almost like omnipotent godlike character was like, well, no, we'd be better off just letting this, like, he, he did it. He achieved his goal. Right. And so he kills Rorschach. Got it. Right at the end. I see. So you could imagine that Rorschach would then arise as a symbol of protest. Well, yes, because the comic book ends with this little sort of teaser that Rorschach had journals that he was writing. Manifestos, perhaps. And he mailed them before the events of this thing. And so that the information about Ozymandias and the plot might have gotten out and even created some sort of conspiracy theory or something like that. And the squids that are falling from the sky, these psychic attacks, could be Ozymandias continuing to keep up the ruse and oh. and, and faking this uh, this conspiracy theory in order to keep global security at hand. I feel so much better informed. Taylor Quimby, I can't tell you how much smarter I feel after listening to you talk about this. And I'm probably going to come back to you after a couple more episodes and be like, OK, so what's this about? And what's this about? I hope you're willing to like decode that for me. Yeah, I got to start watching. I got <laughs> to. This is my, my Game of Thrones tactic has always been sign up for HBO now for one month binge. Yeah, oh, it's a good idea. Yeah. Or you can just use my login like 18 other people do. <laughs> I'll just give it to you after we finish here. OK, I'm taking you up on that. All right. Thanks, Taylor. You're welcome. 
Again, that was Taylor Quimby, the host of the outstanding podcast, Patient Zero, and the producer of the podcast, Bear Brook, and one of my very good work friends at New Hampshire Public Radio. Laura, your first note to me. Thank goodness for Taylor Quimby, because you're watching the show, but it does it help to have that little bit of context to understand the canon behind Watchmen? Uh, yes, because I watched the first three episodes and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? There's a guy <laughs> on a horse. He's riding around. People are dying. Now there's a giant blue dildo. I don't know what's happening here. And, and I'm it is like, a thing. Oh. That's a thing that happened. And I'm yeah. like, oh, OK. And but then when we get to episode three and there was. Jean Smart. I'm like, she seems significant. Okay, something <laughs> is going on with this. And so then I listen to what Taylor said, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, now it's making a little more sense. And then I just read like a little bit more, and I was like, okay, I don't totally understand what's happening, but I'm not totally clueless like I was before because it was like, how is this all connected? So thank you, Taylor, my friend, the boys, um, Taylor and Jason. I call them the boys. So thank you very much because I had no idea what the hell was going on. But I have to stress this because, Kevin, you and I, you said you read Watchmen, like, what, in the bookstore briefly? Like, after you started I was like, watching. I wonder what this is all about. <laughs> exactly. But we were hooked on this and we really liked it knowing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because of the world building that they're doing in this show, right? What do you think about that, Kevin? I think it's really fantastic. Again, you're right. I agree. You don't have to know anything about the the original canon, but I I have been going back and researching, and I think that's good because there are Easter eggs, right, throughout this, that if you know about stuff, you know, it's interesting, and it kind of charges you a little bit. But you don't have to know anything about you just you you know that Jean Smart used to be a superhero. You don't have to know that her mother was Silk Spectre and then she became Silk Spectre the second and that her father was the comedian who was abusive to his mother and the comedian was on the take and, and the Rose Shark found it was investigating. Too much, that, too much, too all much, that much. Stuff. You don't need to know it. You don't need to know that stuff. <laughs> Toby, you are a novelist. Uh, who really made your mark and got a lot of critical acclaim for your world building in a dystopian alternative version of America if certain things had happened and hadn't happened. I mean, I honestly have been watching Watchmen and thinking about you a lot, especially from the world building side of it. What do you think of that aspect of the storytelling that this HBO show is giving us? I I think that's the strongest part of it, to be honest. You know, it's very clever. And the way they do it makes you kind of feel like you're just seeing a small part of a larger whole that's consistent with it. So it's it doesn't seem like it's a set, and I don't mean like literally a set, but but like you can sort of extrapolate to like a whole country or whatever, and and it seems like the problems that are kind of hinted at have deeper roots. I think it's easy to get immersed in the world that they've created. Although and then there's also this weird, like the whole Jeremy Irons thing mm. seems to exist in an entirely different universe. Right. But I, I assume that'll be brought together at some point. This is an interesting dystopian story because this is a dystopia that we haven't seen before really in popular culture. Usually it's something like in 1984 or The Handmaid's Tale. What has happened is that the forces of oppression have taken over and enslaved people. And this is the dystopian world that they live in. This is a little different where that isn't necessarily the case, that maybe the politics are okay, even if they're maybe a little extreme, but still the world is off Mm. and 
It is an alternative history. The race thing is a fantastic discussion to get into. It's a great addition to the canon. Well, yeah, but see, the the, the original, you know, uh, the 1980s comic dealt with the Cold War, right. which was timely. So instead of that as sort of the overarching theme and backdrop, race relations is. And it's changed up probably the status of some of the characters. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, well... Are the black characters better off socially than they would be in our universe, or are they, or what is going on? It isn't quite clear yet. Well, there are some fun, and I call them fun, and I mean this from a storytelling standpoint, not like actually fun. One of the things the show is really playing with in a very provocative way, which I'm just going to lay my cards out, I think every scene in this show is surprising and interesting and and really has me like I'm in moments even when I have no idea what's going on like I really want to watch because one of the ideas that they're playing with is that there is this like long history of atrocity and racism in the United States which is real the Mm -hmm. Tulsa riot we see opening the show that's an important thing is real I did not know that I didn't know a lot of people I found out a lot of people didn't know that was a real event right with planes yeah it was it has been underreported in history correct but I definitely thought oh alternative universe look at this that actually happened. I'm so, ashamed of myself. So in this alternative universe, because of the rise, there were costume superhero vigilantes, but then because of the rise of actual superheroes, as I learned from Taylor and all this stuff, there were certain important events in American history that didn't happen. Right. You know, one of the things that happened was we won the Vietnam War, Watergate never happened, et cetera. So there was this like, big uprising or whatever that ended up with this horrible society run by Nixon for a super long time. And then this sort of snapback with the Robert Redford presidency. And now we have, and this is the provocative part, a lot of really like liberal policies that don't work in this world. Hey, I just made a traffic stop. Subject refused to search of his truck and I observed cavalry contraband in his glove. Requesting firearm lock release. What kind of contraband? It was a Rorschach mask. Are you sure? I saw it. Panda, come on. So we have a world where cops now need to be anonymous because they're in danger. Aren't allowed to to use their weapons. Need permission to use their own weapons. Where uh, people are given reparations for an atrocity committed against them, but that's resulted in even a, a worse conflict. It's provocative AF. I think, Laura. What do you think? I think it's pretty bold. Um, and, you know, and I've read some of the interviews with the show's creators where they were kind of second guessing themselves right up until the end of did we make the right decision in, in being this bold with this? What's interesting, there's been other shows that have tackled that issue. But this is a show on HBO that a whole different audience is watching. And we're also at a time in this country where this is a particularly um, relevant issue based on things that have been happening for the last few years. So I thought it was really interesting. And I think the way that it tied from those race riots in the beginning to then having this totally badass black woman as uh, kind of the main protagonist superhero to then sort of, again, the world building, that museum where they go in and they can like test their DNA to see if they're related to somebody that was involved in that atrocity that happened uh, in Tulsa. So I just thought it was, uh, you know, really interesting the way that that's really kind of a central focus of the story and curious to see as the story continues how it plays out more, but also sort of to see feedback from people, you know, what the reaction to that is. Thoughts, Toby? 
I don't like superhero stuff. Oh, like Toby. I, I like reading. I used to like. I grew up reading comic books. Thanks, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, I still like to look. At, I still like to look at at comic books and stuff. I just it kind of feels like the whole superhero thing was sort of overlaid on a story that could have been perfectly fine without them. There, there were times when I was watching it, and I was like, "Fuck." Like, I wish there weren't any superheroes. Like, I think I would just enjoy this more. But there aren't. She was Toby, there aren't actual superheroes in this. There are people pretending to be. These are not people with superpowers in this show. The only one with superpowers is on Mars. He's not even in the show. These are just regular people, you know, and the ones that are working with the government are sanctioned. The ones that aren't are illegal, but they're not. They don't have superpowers. So you're wrong, Toby. <laughs> there are no superheroes in the superhero show. But she seems to be able to, like, cruise around a kitchen island and surprise a guy with a gun pretty pretty handily. Well, she does have skills. <laughs> she, they don't seem like normal people. Mm. Like the guy with the mirror mask. Looking glass. <laughs> They they put him in they put him in the the pod or whatever it is. What's that? It's an interrogation technique. This is that's fucking ridiculous. Like, he's, <laughs> doesn't he have a superpower of some sort where he's like, I can tell when they get freaked out because of their racism when I show these different. Is that a superpower? No, or is it it's just more interrogation of a technique kind of, in a yeah. pod. Well, I think the guy with the white horse has some sort of superpowers. Because how is he building all these weird clones that just keep <laughs> burning up? And... He's, a, he's the smartest man in the world. He's, he's like superhero. Um, what's the guy with the galloping horse on PBS? Poldark. He's like superhero Poldark. <laughs> what? The fuck? Don't you do you know Poldark with the long flowing hair who's always galloping no. on his horse? Oh my god! No, no. Is that Fabio? No, it's Poldark, <laughs> and this is like superhero Poldark, but he's evil. Okay, so Toby, I'm going to put you through a thought exercise. Uh oh. Imagine. What you put on the, the, the your looking glass put mask? Put on your looking glass <sighs> mask. Put him in the interrogation pod for this. Imagine that you didn't know this was based on a canon, which is only like the superhero part of it is it's loose and weird and deconstructed. I think that like. This whole conceit was written by somebody like you who does not like superheroes. I honestly do, because the whole original thing, as we just heard from Taylor, was that like superheroes were bad, like for society in a lot of different ways. Imagine for a second that you were not tainted by all the superhero bullshit that you don't like, Martin Scorsese, like the Avengers stuff, the, you know, all the stuff you don't like. Imagine, can you just like imagine? that you don't have that baggage. Can you imagine a world in which you do like this? <laughs> because I got to tell you, I kept thinking that you were going to love it. And I'm just so sad that you don't. It's not that it's not that I don't like it. I mean, I like it fine. Like, I'll probably give it a thumbs up. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> don't talk him out of it. Rebecca. But I, I feel like the superhero part of it and I even like I get it and like I read the original Watchmen it came out when I was in college my roommate had it I read it thinking about like superheroes that everybody had you know grown up reading who would read the Watchmen as more being these sort of sociopaths running around in costumes fighting people is interesting but again I just feel like this this whole thing could have been done without that aspect I, I mean, I, again, I, th these are my biases coming through. And again, it, it, it's it's partly from growing up reading comic books. And self-loathing? <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I was, I was totally into it. I guess it was about the time I was in college when suddenly comic books became serious, right? And it was like, we're going to tackle like the dark heart of the soul or whatever. 
and, and at that time, you know, I just remember being like, I don't know if comic books are really the right vehicle to explore bigger moral issues. And I, and I, and I know that Taylor was kind of talking about how he found that sort of energizing and maybe that's uh, like kind of a generational difference or whatever, but I okay, boomer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but but growing but growing up reading the comic books that I did, and that the, the point of seriousness at which it got to was still at sort of a comic book level. And then when suddenly it was like Frank Miller, I think was a guy who like in the 80s was like, let's let's take a look at what a sociopath Batman is. And all this stuff. And the Watchmen came out. It's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. That's not what I look for in comic books or I looked for in comic books. So anyway, I, I guess I've, I guess I've got I've got some superhero issues. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Can I just say that every time that looking glass like takes off his mask, it sounds like he's trying to pull a wet bathing suit over his, <laughs> yeah, his face. Just, I think how does he even see through that thing? I don't understand. I don't know. Kanye wore masks kind of like that oh, yeah. when I saw him in concert. Yeah, us too. <laughs> and he sang right through it and everything. So did we. And we saw, we saw him basically wear an old lady's church hat on his face and just like rap right through it. It was pretty incredible. Um, so I just want to just punctuate one thing and just ask you guys. I, I basically just want affirmation on this. Are the performances in this like not incredible? And like most of them are yeah. older actors. We've got... Regina King, who's like my age, she's not old, but she's like, you know, mid 40s, my age. And she's the, like the youngest woman in the cast. We've got Jean Smart, Frances Fisher, Don Johnson, who has like an amazing acting gene that I've never seen before. Guys, we all agree the performance in this are great, yeah, right, Kevin? Excellent, excellent performances. And like, Laura, isn't it amazing seeing like so many juicy roles for uh, older women? Something that has long been an issue with anything that we've ever covered, and that you know, just general Hollywood stuff. Oh yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. I, I mean, there was I, I really loved the acting, and I loved like the characters were all like so bizarre. Like, I mean, it's like but bizarre in a good way. Some of them. I mean, so you know, Don Johnson's character, like he seems pretty straightforward, and then he's got like the KKK suit in his closet and he's doing coke at dinner with the kids but you know but there so he was kind of a complex character but it was again I was like this is Don Johnson like I, I had to keep reminding myself of that because it just didn't fit like what I had envisioned for him but especially the opening scene where we have the sister night character I love that scene where she goes in like the fake bakery and all of a sudden she comes out in her like super costume and her black car and speeds off. And then we've got what's his face there? The crazy guy. Um out Jeremy his, Irons. Yeah, out at his yeah. castle. He's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow. Please, oh, let's get on with it. It's a jolly good fellow, oh, which nobody can deny. Miss Crookshanks. When is a lie not a lie? When it's acting, master. Real tears tonight, yeah. Every drop, sir. And I'm like, is he levitating? Is he doing yoga? I don't know what's going on there. He's got a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> you know, while he's waiting for the people to regenerate so he can burn them up again. <laughs> um, I just, I thought, yeah, there was a lot of really good acting, really interesting acting, and um, I can't wait to see where it goes. Did anyone else pick up on the idea that Dr. Manhattan phone booth yes. was uh, a metaphor for church. Church confessional, yeah. yeah. Everyone can go and send messages to send Dr. Manhattan. Send a message Manhattan. and maybe they're listening. They may, you know, you don't know if he's listening or not. Yeah. And then, um, Would yeah, you do I, that, Kevin? Would you go to the Dr. Manhattan booth and confess stuff? 
Seems like it was a pretty expensive phone call to make. I think it's the only difference. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan is listening. So how about that giant sex toy? That, uh... Yeah, how about it? <laughs> I know it's supposed to be a superhero, but you could get killed. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Toby, I don't know about you, but I just don't think anatomy works that way. I was, I was, I, th- I missed it. I was trying to deal with my shitty internet. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about the giant sex toy. Yeah, oh. I'm sure I can find it still somewhere on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do and tell our listeners. I mean, Kevin, what's the name of this uh, episode? Like, why you should watch Why Watchmen? You should, watch Watchmen. <laughs> should you watch Watchmen, listeners of Crime Writers on? It's crime adjacent. There's certainly plenty of crime to chew on in the HBO adaptation of Watchmen, the classic graphic novel. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should our listeners watch Watchmen? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Absolutely. Thumbs up. Um, it's it's like a show. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Westworld and that it's like a different world. There's a lot of scene setting. There's a lot of really interesting characters and you know each episode in a way almost stands alone like the third episode is really kind of a standalone episode with a new character introduced Gene Smart who I think gives one of the best performances of the whole show so far go with it in the beginning I was like what the hell's going on here I have no idea what's happening this uh, but it's all going to come together in the end and it doesn't really matter because it's just kind of fun to watch Toy Ball what about you thumbs up or thumbs down should our listeners watch The Watchmen what do you think I'm trying to process this picture of the dildo that uh, Kevin just sent. <laughs> For those who fast forwarded to this part of the show, oh god, that's relevant oh, to the content. That's really that's huge. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why he's a superhero. I give it a thumbs up. There's so much about it that's good that my personal hangups. I will like put aside and recommend because I think most people will like it. Um, I, you know, I think it's it's smart, it's original. The world building I think is is first rate, and it's super fun to see Don Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I freaking love this show. Huge thumbs up for me. I don't give a shit about the source material or the canon, except I did go down a rabbit hole and I want to explore it. But I'll tell you, like, if you're not watching this show because you think, oh, I don't like comic books or I never read it or I won't get it, I don't think it matters. Every single scene in this that I've seen so far has been surprising and great. The performances are extraordinary. We're watching it with friends just like we used to do when Game of Thrones first came out. And then, like, it's over and we have a ton to talk about and consider and think about. I love every single thing about Watchmen so far. I cannot wait for next week's episode. Huge thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm also a thumbs up. I think the comparison to Game of Thrones is very apt because before it started, you would not convince me that a lot of people would be interested in a uh, sword and sorcery kind of show like Game of Thrones. And so the idea that uh, a quote-unquote superhero show is going to take over HBO and be the next big cultural thing I was would have been pretty hesitant to agree to that, but after having watched it, I do see why this is um, a really great piece of television. The idea about race as sort of this macro influencer is felt in every inch of the story, and I think the best storytelling is when the world is revealed slowly and cautiously, and that's what Damon Lindelof is doing, as he did with Lost. Mm-hmm. So he's good at the helm. I think this is really great. I can't wait to watch it every week. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. 
On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Psst. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week of the week. They say blessed are the peacemakers. A San Diego cop was trying to keep the peace outside of a downtown bar on Halloween when he got sucker punched by a guy dressed up as Jesus. Police officials say that the King of Kings elbowed the officer in the face, requiring several stitches. Now the Lamb of God is on the lamb. The department says they're looking for, quote, a white male, six feet to six feet two, in a white robe with a red sash, possibly with a fake beard and a wig. No word on whether he was spotted with 12 other men or is expected to turn up after three days. Oh, my God. On behalf of Sister Marlena, I disavow myself. (laughs) From this copy that you wrote for Crime of the Week. (laughs) So, panel, here's my question for you. If the law ever catches up to him, what will be Jesus's defense? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Um, Well, I had to turn to the experts for this question. So I reached out to the Revs, Heidi and Emily. um, Hi, Revs. To get their take on all of this, uh, Heidi says he had to knock him dead to raise him again. Mm, oh, nice. okay. Yeah, there you go. And uh, Emily's answer, let he who is without sin throw the first punch. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should be on this podcast. Toybo, what do you think if the law ever catches up to and what will be Jesus's defense in this crime? We're way out of my comfort zone here, but I would say uh, he took my name in vain. <laughs> uh, what about you, Kevin? What do you think Jesus's defense will be? Uh, he said, uh, bitch was supposed to turn the other cheek. <laughs> you know what I think Jesus was trying to do? Turn water into wine. Run off to Lara's Sunday school class. There you go. That's what I think. <laughs> hey, I'm teaching this week, Rebecca. All right, we should probably end on that note. Before we do Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, we do have a cat, but we have an honorable mention first because Rebecca was watching this great video of the guy singing with his donkey all week. <laughs> yes, I love it so much. <laughs> it's very funny, but it hurt my ears because that donkey just wouldn't shut up. But I, I, I have a cat and it comes from a listener. I don't know if this is their real name or not. Maho Sellis. I think it might be a screen name. Um, is reason why my cat should be cat of the week. First, they are both rescues. Second, to celebrate Halloween the scary way. 
The younger one, originally named Pi, now known as the Beast, decided to chop off one of my other cat's ears. Oh, my God. Wow. And Evander Holyfield, a.k.a. Vierns, is very sweet. He is my first cat, used to be a dog person. So this is their first cat, and she is crazy about him, sending love from Mexico City. I've been a loyal listener for years. So there you go, Evander Holyfield, cat's ears. Very nice pictures. I'm glad the cat's okay, but my goodness. All right, Larbricker folks want to reach out to you to submit their cats, or may I suggest their dogs, to be Cat of the Week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Larbricker. And Toby Ball folks want to reach out to you and say, I too, Toby Ball. Also hate anything having to do with superheroes. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and just tell you how great your voice sounds these days, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group, you know, you can go to our regular old Facebook page and you can find the link there. Support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show right now. You'll also get Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's amazing Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we keep the machine that airbrushes our superhero masks right onto our faces. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Wow. Toby's having a baby at the same time he's plugging in his microphone. It's kind of a drag. That means flat Toby's going to have to baby Toby with him when I take them out on the town. What is the deal with flat Toby? It's like I hope you saw. It's like flat, like Stanley. flat Stanley. We have to Toby? order one. We get it from Fatheads. It's like flat Jesus. My friend was a Sunday school teacher and she had flat Jesus that she used to take places. So Henry, That's who records flat, this podcast... We have a, a fat head of just his head. It's basically flat Henry. Yeah. But I'm going to have a little one of, of Toby. It's just going to be able to like get strapped in the car and go on adventures. That's awesome. It's a little Toby. Oh, boy. I mean, Are I, you going to put it on your um, Dr. Manhattan sex toy? Oh, my God. Uh, no. <laughs> that was scary. That was like a rocket launcher. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.